What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Pastor Pete Watts from the RCA. I am now the newly selected supervisor for race relations and advocacy and still doing the work of the African-American Black Council. And this is The Black Church Still Speaks. Today on our show, we're going to have Fox Sports analyst Chris Broussard with us. Chris is an internationally known sports analyst, commentator, and broadcaster for Fox Sports One Television Network and Fox Sports Radio. He shared the screen with some of the NBA's legendary figures, including Magic Johnson, with whom he co-starred on the Kia NBA Countdown show on ESPN. He can be seen regularly on Fox Sports One's Undisputed First Things, The Herd with Colin Cowherd, and Speak for Yourself. Chris co-hosts the nationally syndicated Fox Sports radio show, The Odd Couple with Rob Parker on weekdays. Chris also is a Christian. He's been a spokesperson for former NBA star Alan Houston's Father's Knows Best program and national chair for the Ties Never Broken campaign sponsored by Fathers Incorporated. Chris is a member for Athletes in Action. Chris is a frequent speaker at colleges, high schools, charitable fundraisers, youth-related events, and churches, having addressed congregations as varied as Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Catholic, and Congregational. And today, he gets to address the Reformed Church in America. He is the founder and president of a national Christian men's movement called KING, which stands for Knowledge, Inspiration, and Nurture Through God. Chris has two daughters, twin daughters, and lives with his wife of more than 25 years in New Jersey. Well, let's jump right into it. Uh, and so uh, thank you again for being a part of our uh, podcast, being a guest on our show. And uh, so just uh, for the record, for those who may not know you, getting to uh, hear you for the first time. Uh, within our uh, network of the Reformed Church in America. Just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your ministry, the King Movement. I'm Chris Broussard, and uh, I have been married. I'll tell you about my family first. I've been married for 26 years, and my wife and I live in New Jersey. We have twin daughters who uh, graduated from college last year, and they're both doing well. One works at Yale. University, and one works at BET. So they're doing well. We're empty nesters, uh, which is nice. Yes. The, the great thing is my daughters are both in the New York general, the New York metropolitan area. So we see them every two or three weeks, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, as my career, I'm a sports broadcaster and NBA analyst. I worked at the New York Times for six years worked at ESPN for 12 years. A lot of people may have seen me on ESPN doing NBA coverage. And then since 2016, I've been at Fox Sports and I am an NBA analyst. So you'll catch me on all of our Fox Sports One television studio shows uh, talking about the NBA, analyzing it. And then uh, I have a radio, a national radio show called The Odd Couple, which uh, with my co-host Rob Parker, which is um, on nationally Monday through Friday from 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 Eastern. Uh, you can catch that on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, or Sirius XM Channel 83. So that's what I'm doing career-wise. And then um, ministry-wise, I'm the founder and president of the King Movement, 
which is a national Christian men's movement that uh, the acronym King, it's an acronym that stands for knowledge, inspiration, and nurture through God. And our goal in a nutshell, if you had to say two words, it'd be discipleship and brotherhood. Mm. And uh, we want to help men live out their faith in Christ Monday through Saturday. Mm. Or maybe I should say Sunday afternoon through Saturday, (laughs) (laughs) you know, whenever you're not in church. Right. But uh, in your relationship with your wife, with your children, in the workplace, with your fraternity brothers, um, on college campuses, wherever you may be. But just to be Christ-like in our entire lifestyle, which is what we're all called to be. And the brotherhood is one of the ways that we feel like we do that. Uh, we, we, we do teaching. We uh, hold brothers accountable. We encourage brothers. We support brothers. But also we provide brotherhood. And, and all men and men need male bonding and women need female bonding. Mm-hmm. And so the King Movement is a way for men to bond with other brothers who are like-minded, who are striving to live for the Lord. And uh, who may enjoy a lot of the same things that you do as far as culture, uh, sports, and things like that. So um, we're just trying to build up men in their faith with Christ because we believe if we build up men, uh, then we'll build up families and communities and our nation ultimately. Mm -hmm. So that's what the King Movement is about. We have 16 chapters in cities across the country. Uh, You are a part of it, uh, and Mm -hmm. we appreciate your, your commitment to it. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing now. As far as we know, uh, King, and I may, again, it's as far as we know, King is the only, or certainly one of the only national Christian men's parachurch ministries Mm -hmm. that's, that's national or one of the Christian parachurch ministries that's run by black men. Mm -hmm. So, um, you have several parachurch ministries that um, are run by the majority culture. But as far as we know, King is the only national parachurch ministry for men that is run uh, by African-American men. And and again, if we missed one or a few, then we apologize. But as far as we know, we're we're the only one or one of the only ones. Yeah, yeah. And that's key. That's important. And so, um, you know, being a follower uh, of Jesus, you went to school, you went to college, uh, you pledged, uh, you um, uh, are part of a fraternity. Um, I'm assuming and uh, that you are part of a church. Like what, what, what's your like Jesus story? How did you come, how did you come to come to faith? Um, how, and yeah, how long have you been a follower? Well, I, I, I grew up Catholic. Uh, my roots are in Louisiana and obviously a lot of Creole culture, a mm-hmm. lot of uh, African-American Catholics down in Louisiana. So I grew up Catholic my father actually studied for two years. He went to seminary in high school. He was going to become a priest. Wow. And he was in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, he experienced some racism at the seminary. Mm. And so he left. Uh, he was talking to his father about it. And his father said, hey, everybody's not meant to be Jackie Robinson. So come <laughs> on home. You know, and so he didn't he didn't pursue the priesthood. Which I'm glad about, because if you know anything about Catholic priests, they're celibate. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I would not be <laughs> you here. You would not be but, here, right? Right, right. <laughs> but um, so we, I grew up Catholic, going to church every Sunday and um, going to Catholic schools for most of my life. 
But I didn't know anything about a personal relationship with Christ. I was taught a lot of biblical stories. I knew a lot of stories about Jesus and the Bible, the Beatitudes, things Mm -hmm. like that. But I didn't know anything really about studying the Bible itself. I never read the Bible for myself. Yeah. Uh, And I didn't know anything about having a personal relationship with Christ, what I might call biblical Christianity. And so in college, I met a woman, began dating her. She was a Christian. And she was really the first person that I was close to that exposed me to biblical Christianity mm. uh, in, a, in a large way. We ended up getting married. And so uh, <laughs> she's my wife. But so I went to a church with her uh, once. It was a charismatic church and everybody was praising the Lord and excited about God. And the, the pastor, it, was a, it wasn't a pastor, it was a visiting preacher that day. Mm-hmm. And he shared his testimony about how God had delivered him from drugs. He was on the streets and things like that. And uh, that was the first time I was a junior in college and I felt convicted that I needed to give my life to the Lord, Mm. that God, my lifestyle was not pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I didn't want to. I didn't want to become a Christian. I didn't want to repent uh, from my sins. I knew I didn't need to be perfect, but I didn't even want to repent from my sins and try to start following Jesus. And so I ran from God for about six months. He blessed me, uh, blessed me with a summer internship at the Cleveland Plain Dealer in sports writing, which was the largest paper in Ohio at the time. And uh, I did well. And they told me they would hire me uh, when I graduated from college a year later. So as you can imagine, that was I was on top of the world. Yeah. Going into your senior year and know that you have a job waiting for you. Uh, a good job, a job that you'll enjoy. Uh, It was great. And so I felt like I had the American dream, Mm. which is what I had been raised to think was the purpose of life. Right. Go to school, get good grades, so you can go to a good college, do well in college, so you can get a good job and live the American dream. And here I was now with that within my grasp. Mm. And once I kind of realized that, I just started feeling empty. And um, like there must be more to life than mm-hmm. just getting the American dream. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be more to life than this. And so, I, again, I kept running. I knew it was Christ because I had been convicted a few months earlier of my sin. Yeah. But I kept running from God, was looking for loopholes, ways I could get some peace and get rid of this empty feeling yeah. within my soul uh, without giving my life to Christ. And finally, God broke me down. And it was like, look. You can either give your life to Christ and find some peace and some joy, or you can keep running and be empty and miserable. Mm-hmm. So on my, believe it or not, on my 21st birthday, that's when I gave my life to Christ. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so my spiritual birthday is the same as my natural birthday. And so, uh, so you'll never forget that day. Great birthday <laughs> present. No, yeah. never forget that day. <laughs> and, and to be honest, since then, man, I've ne- obviously you have challenges, you have struggles and things like that, yeah. but never had any regrets whatsoever. And God has been great. It's like, you know, it's like the parable of the man who's, uh, whose house is founded on rock. Yeah, And the storms come and the winds blow and they, they came on the dude with house on sand and they came on the brother whose house was on the rock. So you will get the storms of life. Yeah. But I've always, through the storms, been founded on the rock of Jesus Christ. And that's kept me stable, steady, secure, 
uh, peaceful and the whole nine yards. So uh, well, that's a yeah, sermon that's right there. Sure. <laughs> you sure yeah, you're you, not headed for seminary like your dad was? <laughs> I, I almost went to seminary several times. Really? I almost left, I almost left journalism probably about four times. Uh, mm. I almost went. I was enrolled. Not enrolled. I I was accepted by Dallas Theological Seminary, Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, uh, Gordon-Conwell in Boston, and Fuller out there in California. I was going to go to Fuller. I was enrolled to go to Fuller in Pasadena, and it just didn't work out. We Mm -hmm. had some family. Actually, my wife got pregnant with twins at the time. So uh, we decided not to go ahead and do it. I was going to leave my job covering the NBA. What? And that was in 1998 and go to full-time, be a full-time student at Fuller. I had visited, had met, I visited all those schools except for Gordon Conwell. I had met with William Pinnell, who was a mm. African-American professor. Really? Some of the other people there and uh, on campus. And my wife even had a job. She's a doctor, a medical uh-huh. doctor, but she had a job in California and um it was all set got, it was all set man and then she got pregnant with twins and we prayed about it and we thought about it too mm-hmm. <laughs> and we said you know what the cost of living is much higher in uh, california she yeah. wasn't at the stage where she was making a lot of money yeah and i was gonna leave my job and be a full-time student and so yeah. we decided to hold off and then the new york times called me out of the blue and wanted me to come work for him covering sports. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up doing that. Was still thinking of going to seminary a few years later. Uh, did And actually did apply to Alliance Theological Seminary up here in in, Nor- in upstate New York. Okay, But again, it didn't work out. And uh, I realized over time that God has given me a platform where I can reach a lot of people. Mm-hmm. To be honest, reach far more people with the platform I have than I ever would be able to reach coming out of seminary. Yes. And so it's all worked out in God's timing and his plan. And so I'm thankful for that. Amen. I mean, as we say in the, in the, in the, in the reform uh, theology, it was, it was already purposed and predestined for you to be where you are uh, right now um, and Amen. how God uses you and the platform he's uh, given you. And so in hearing your story and your journey, how did the black church uh, play a role? It it sounded like the black church had a huge impact um, on your life. And so, uh, you know, our podcast is called The Black Church Still Speaks. And so uh, when you think about uh, the black church uh, and its future, what do you see? Well, as far as the black church's impact on my life, uh, like I said, I grew up Catholic and obviously most African-Americans aren't Catholic. And um, so I went to Catholic school churches, mm-hmm. most of which were white, mostly white. There were some that were, were more black, but the ones I went to, most of them were majority white. But then once I became a Christian or, you know, a Bible believing Christian and born again Christian, I began uh, attending primarily African-American churches and, and really studying the history of the black church because I, in college, I became really, I really got into black history Mm -hmm. and um, honestly through hip hop, through my love of hip hop music, 
which at that time in the late 1980s was very pro-black mm-hmm. uh, with groups like X-Clan and uh, KRS-One, Boogie Down Productions, Eric B and Rakim and so Public Enemy, so on and so forth. I really was into black culture, African culture and things like that. So I began studying the black American church history. And my brother, who I witnessed to when I became a Christian, he was at Howard University in HBCU in Washington, D.C. And he became a member of the Nation of Islam, mm. as did one of my one of my best friends was very much influenced by the Nation of Islam, didn't join it. But he was at an HBCU as well. And they really began uh, criticizing me and yeah. saying I was I was in the white man's religion and uh-huh. serving a white Jesus and all that. So I began studying that led me to really begin studying uh, black history, not only black American history, but African history, particularly mm-hmm. from a biblical and Christian standpoint. And so this is the early 1990s, late 80s, early 1990s. And I'm studying, I, I was studying profusely mm-hmm. about black American church history and African church history long before Africans were even brought to America in the Atlantic slave trade. And so I began to see the importance of the black church. I mean, I knew obviously about the civil rights movement, Dr. Martin Luther King and and the role that he and the church had played in that. But then I began seeing that virtually all of the African-American freedom fighters uh, were in the church and not only nominal, not nominal Christians mm-hmm. had had real live born again experiences with Jesus Christ from Frederick Douglass to David Walker. Mm-hmm. And you think Malcolm X was militant. You should read some of David Walker stuff like David mm-hmm. Walker's appeal, you know, uh-huh. Henry Highland Garnett uh, was another militant African-American preacher. Uh, James W.C. Pennington, who was the first, I believe the first African-American to graduate from college was a Christian, like on and on, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Richard Allen, who founded the Free African Society uh, out of the AME church. Uh, like you could go on, on. even Marcus Garvey mm-hmm. was, a, was a Christian right. and his Universal Negro Improvement Association, uh, one of their key scriptures was actually one of the King Movement's key scriptures, which was Psalm 6831. Princess shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch forth her hands unto God. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just saw the rich, richness of the black church uh, in our struggle in, in building up our people and fighting for freedom, justice and liberation. And uh, even Pan-Africanism, mm-hmm. you know, the notion that all people of African descent are connected because virtually all of us outside of Ethiopia and Liberia, which was settled by African-Americans, have in these last several hundred years uh, been under the yoke of the notion of white supremacy, whether it was slavery or colonization. So um, all of that came out of the black church. The Pan-Africanism came out of the black church and black Christian leaders. And so I really became a student of that. I spoke, I began speaking at a lot of black churches that ran the gamut. Yeah. From traditional Baptist, AME, uh, African Methodist Episcopal, uh, to all the way down to storefront churches, mm-hmm. Pentecostal storefront churches, uh, Church of God in Christ, 
Um, I mean, I, I really began not speaking in various black churches, but also visiting uh, and and worshiping at various black churches. Yeah. Um, storefront. I was at storefront churches, man. Revivals, you know, Pentecostal yeah. revivals yeah, yeah. in the hood, <laughs> um, all the way up to the you know, the traditional, the big traditional black churches with mm -hmm. the stained glass windows and all that. So I really, through my own reading and studying, but also through my own experience uh, as a Christian, I really just gained a wealth of knowledge and appreciation for the black church. Yeah. And to be honest, an understanding of how misunderstood it is today. Yes. You know, um, and Tell that's one of our things we need to get back to get to understanding it properly as an African, as black people. Yeah. And, and, and let's stick on that for a quick second, because um, when I was watching the uh, documentary the, that Lewis Gates uh, did on the black church, yep. I remember listening to a podcast through Jude three. And one of the points that they made about the the show was that it really positioned the black church as a monolith. Um, and when we speak about the black church, we often speak about it as, as they said on the podcast, uh, BK and AK, uh, before King and after King. <laughs> right. So they talk, when you think about the black church, it's like, okay, this was the black church before King and this is the black right. church after King. But then you don't start thinking about all the other facets and tapestries of the black church and, uh, and the disagreements that the black churches even have with one another theologically, um, you know, around uh, justice work or around right. evangelism or around the gifts of the spirit. Or, and so it's, su it's, a, it's such a, a richness, but for some reason, there's a story that's told of the black church that's very linear and thin, and we don't get the breadth and depth of it. I think that is an outstanding point that, to be honest, a lot of people don't, I don't think they talk about. And, and you're absolutely right. And, and number one, Let's face it, African-Americans as a whole are viewed often as a monolith within America, mm -hmm. right? We, we've got our few so-called black leaders that supposedly, I emphasize supposedly, uh -huh. <laughs> speak for all of us, right? right? And so that is just, I think that's one, is it, it's an outgrowth of how African-Americans are viewed in general in this country being a minority. Two, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, and again, I, I experienced all of that. First of all, as you know, you've got, you know, your black, uh, you got black churches that are, are I mean, Pentecostal, apostolic, um, that, that really focus more on just God and, and, and the Bible and spiritual training, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And, um, you know, our Pentecostal churches, that that vein. And then you've got churches that focus more on politics yep. and social issues, justice issues yep. and things like that. Um, and so you you have I mean, the black church is very dynamic and very um, diverse. Uh, everything from the churches where they emphasize speaking in tongues and people falling out, being slain in the spirit mm -hmm. to churches that, you know, are very uh, powerful politically. Um, and so I think what I, I'm, I'm saying, to be honest, I, my, I've been preaching 
that all Christians in America, regardless of race, we really need to unite more on a biblical agenda Mm -hmm. um, to have more of an impact within society. But if you just narrow it down to the black church, I've always wanted, and the the churches that I really became a part of and and became a member of and uh, have been active in, have tended to be those that addressed practical issues of the day, social issues and things like that, justice and all of that, but also emphasized personal salvation Mm -hmm. and the holiness and morality that comes with that and how it, it, you know, studying the word and how it can impact your individual life. And so I, I always, I call that the full gospel. I know the full gospel is known as those that believe in the gift of tongues and Mm -hmm. and the gifts of the spirit. But I'll, I kind of call the full gospel, like an emphasis on justice, Mm -hmm. social justice and personal salvation yeah and i i don't think they should be separate i think that we lose out when we only focus on one or the other like if you have a church that's very powerful politically and socially and all they preach about is justice but they never preach about how the word of god can transform your life as an individual Mm -hmm. and how you need to be born again and all that then to me, you're, you're missing out. Like Jesus said, what does it help to gain the whole world right. but lose your soul? And then if you're only preaching personal salvation and, and the morality, individual morality mm-hmm. and holiness, that's great. But the implications of the gospel yeah. um, are that we change our society, you know, and, and many teachings of Jesus where we can impact society and address the issues within society, society, particularly when a lot of the people that are opposing you in society mm-hmm. claim to be Christian. Right. You can hold yeah. them accountable to the word of God. You yeah. know, at least we should be able to. And, and a lot of people that only emphasize the personal holiness, their lives are impacted by these issues that they yep. may ignore, these yep. social issues, these issues of racism and and getting um, opportunities for African-Americans within our society. So I always have wanted and believed and done the best I could to unite both yeah. and preach a full, all-encompassing gospel. I was literally in a meeting right before uh, we got on uh, with an organization um, uh, that I've been a part of that's literally uh, you know, uh, in the process of leaving over this very concept. Uh, that the larger organization says it's about the evangelical mandate or evangelistic mandate and the uh, cultural mandate of justice. That's secondary. Uh, we are going to focus on this evangelism uh, piece and the, you know, the justice and other stuff that are come. Uh, and our argument is uh, it's both. It's it's both. And it's not either or it's not Billy Graham versus Martin Luther King. It's like Amen. Billy Graham Amen. and Martin Luther King are working together because it's the same gospel yep. uh, holistically as a whole. That, that That's so uh, 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 important. And again, uh, within the context of the black church, those are discussions and those are experiences uh, that are happening uh, currently, even when we think about uh, the black church's future, because uh, when we think historically about the black church, uh, it, they could not survive doing one or the other. It had to be both. 
Right. Uh, they didn't, it, it was like there was no choice to choose one over the other. Uh, and so, uh, so what do you, what do you think, uh, is the biggest challenge right now, uh, that the black church faces, uh, in this, in this new, new day? Well, first of all, what you said about the black church historically meeting these practical needs of their members and our, our community that weren't even members, um, that's biblical. Yeah. You know, first of all, you look in the book of Acts, right? Chapter two and chapter four. And they met the economic needs of the people mm-hmm. that were coming into the church. And what did that do? That was evangelistic because yeah. the Bible says they were adding to the church daily. Yeah. So when you meet people's practical and economic needs, that can be evangelistic. Now, you should tie that to the Lord. Yeah. You know, let them know and, you know, you don't have to beat them over the head with the Bible but let it be known your good works are coming out of your faith in Christ. Right. And that will draw them uh, to the Lord, I believe. And that's, that's the biblical witness. So the black church was doing that. And that was very biblical. And to be honest, when the white church, even though a lot of white evangelicals may preach that the black church should just focus on salvation and Uh preaching the gospel, when there are issues that impact them socially in society, they have no they 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 have no problem addressing it. Right. Jerry Falwell started the moral majority and they've addressed abortion and, right. and same-sex marriage and like they address social issues that impact them mm-hmm. and yet tell us don't address the one. So it, it's that's hypocritical. And yeah. the church should be able to address these issues. But as far as the black, the challenges facing the black church. I think there are many. I mean, I can, um, I think one, and this is a challenge for all churches Uh and this isn't necessarily in order, but just some challenges I think exist. Um, one is the challenge of getting more men in the Mm. church. Uh, we have got to attract more, again, speaking specifically to the black church is an issue in all churches in America, but in the black church, it's, I think it's more pronounced than any other church. There are estimates that 80% or more of the women in the black church are, or of the members of the black church are women. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly been in black churches where it was four out of every five people in there were were women. Right. And so that needs to be addressed because when you look in the Bible, there's no dearth of men. Yeah. It's never like God can't find a man, you know, like, you know what I mean? We're all the brothers, you know? No, there were men active in with God uh, throughout the scripture. So they're obviously very strong women. But when we don't when we have a dearth of men, that shows me that, okay, we need to look at how we're doing things. So one, I think we need to attract more men. Um, I think there the ways to do that. um, I think there needs to be more of an emphasis in some church. I'm generalizing. Yeah. But I think. They're, the black church often, some of our churches have been more geared toward emotion mm-hmm. and the preaching to get people hyped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's fine. I mean, obviously black ch- preaching is tremendous, right. you know, but they're also within that or even there are many black churches that just, they don't do the hooping and, and, and yep. the tr- what we might call traditional black preaching and they teach and they yep. become really big. Yep. And so I think 
men want an emphasis on teaching. Mm. Teach me something that's going to change my life. Teach me something that's going to teach me how to overcome and triumph within this society. Mm -hmm. And obviously the word of God addresses that. So I think an emphasis on teaching. If you look at some of the, um, uh, our pastor, Eric Mason, who obviously you know well, just came out with the book, Urban Apologetics. And they address what they call bricks, black religious identity communities or black religious identity cults, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call them. But they, they don't have a lack of men. Right. The nation of Islam is majority men. Mm-hmm. Um, the he, black Hebrew Israelites, I believe, are majority mm-hmm. men. Um, the Kemetics, you know, ha- attract a lot of men. And they emphasize teaching. Now, it may be false teaching. Right. But they emphasize teaching over something that's going to get you all emotional. Mm-hmm. And so I think you can have the emotion. And again, I love when, when a brother's really bringing it and you, yep. you, you there's call and response and you're getting hype. But make sure there's great biblical teaching within that. So you I think to have that something was, to shout on. Right, right. I, and yo, I ain't gonna lie. I've been to some churches where even honestly myself, I've preached uh-huh. and every sentence and no exaggeration, every sentence, the crowd was going high. Ready like, to go I in, huh? Yet, y'all. <laughs> y'all hype. So I think the emphasis on, on teaching. Two, I think we really need to rid our churches of the white iconography mm. that of white Jesus is white, all white biblical characters. And Mm -hmm. obviously all black churches don't have that, but that's prominent in many of our churches. Right. Um, And it shouldn't be prominent in any of our churches to keep it real, because number one, it's, it's historically inaccurate. Mm -hmm. You know, that all the biblical characters or most of the biblical characters were Europeans. Right. That's just historically inaccurate. And we know Jesus looked nothing like he wasn't white. He looked nothing like the picture of the long-haired, blue-eyed, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus. The that Leonardo we da Vinci picture. Right. That, that, that's just completely. So just from a biblical, whether you're black or white, from a biblical standpoint, we obviously want truth. And that's not yeah. true. So yeah. why would we promote that? But if you want, I mean, obviously, in our world, you're going to you, you know, whether it's books for children or photos when you're telling a story or, or, or a play, whatever it may be, depictions of Jesus are going to, you know, yeah. occur. Yeah. And I really don't have a problem with it, whites kind of depicting Jesus in their culture to relate mm-hmm. to them or Asians doing it mm-hmm. there, Indians, Native Americans. We should portray Jesus in ways that relate to us. Yeah. I, I think, you know, with African ancestry because that's biblical actually yeah. uh, three of the women in his genealogy in Matthew three of the four women are Hamitic of Hamitic descent which is African uh, the progenitor of African people and so um, we all should be able to see ourselves created in the image of God yeah and in America because of the racism and the oppression and the white supremacy um, we've been taught that every biblical character worth his salt and Jesus and all the angels are white. And that's the exact opposite of us. And so that, that can have negative psychological uh, damage on 
our psyche mm-hmm. uh, and, and lead us into believing in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also uh, is a deterrent to black men, especially, but, but yeah. black people in general, but particularly black men, it can be a deterrent to them even being able to see the gospel for what it is. Right. Because, right. Um, you know, there's that myth in our community, as I said earlier, that Christianity is a white man's religion. And that's one of the reasons. So we need to get rid of that iconography. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to put up a black Jesus, but I'm saying you definitely shouldn't have a white Jesus mm-hmm. and, and all these white angels and stuff like that. Show yourselves, ourselves in the image created in the image of God as well. Um, so so I guess if, I, if I have a church, I'm going to put up that Jesus that they had on good times. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Was that Ned the Wino? Or right, whatever? Ned the Wino. <laughs> right, right. But you're real. That, that's real. Yeah. And um, so I think that um, those are two th- ways we can get men. I think we do need to teach uh, urban apologetics mm-hmm. and address these issues. Because the thing is, you know, when I first became a Christian over 30 years ago, I didn't know much black history, certainly yeah. not African history. Um, and, and when, when cats came at me from the perspective of a black Muslim or mm-hmm. a Hebrew Israelite, I, 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 I didn't always know initially how to even address some of the stuff they right. were saying, you know? Uh, but as I began to study and learn more, I not only was able to address it, I, I look for cats like that now. Right, because right. It, when you learn the truth, I mean, the, the church, the black church, black Christian experience, and I don't mean black American. Black American Christian experience is obviously rich. Mm-hmm. But the African Christian experience long before the Atlantic slave trade is incredibly rich. Yeah. John and Beattie, who's uh, the late John and Beattie, who was a great African, not African-American, African theologian, he said Christianity's been in Africa so long, 2,000 years, that Christianity could rightly be called a traditional African religion. Mm. You know, and we're not trying to make it a black religion. It's right. not any man's religion. It's God's way of salvation for all people. But it's been in Africa for 2,000 years, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is as well-rooted and grounded and planted in Africa as any faith. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he meant. And so um, I think that needs to be taught. And then finally, Pete, I think there needs to be an emphasis on teaching the word of God. And when I say teaching, I don't just mean history, yep. you know, and, and urban apologetics and things like that. I mean the word of God, yep. the Bible, because that, that's a great chat debate within our churches again of all races Mm -hmm. but in the black church some churches want to teach liberal theology yep and um even what you know black liberation theology which i've studied james cone Mm -hmm. um against rather than true biblical theology Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the, the fact is that you know a lot of the the theologians the black theologians that come out of seminary and want to teach liberal theology in their, in their churches, mm-hmm. um, they really, they do it in the name of this is black. Right. Right. When they couldn't be further from the truth that that's just German theology mm-hmm. that came out of the enlightenment. That's post enlightenment German theology. Mm-hmm. And even black liberation theology with Cone, he didn't start that. 
Right. He just put black on it. And I, I respect James Cone and what he was trying to do, but I, by, he was emphasizing the words and teachings of Jesus that address society, right? Yeah. Social issues yep. and political issues. And that's well and good as a, as we said, as a part of your teaching. But if that's the whole thing, that's not reaching your soul. That's not reaching your inner man. That's not reaching your spirit. And to be quite frank, if that was Jesus's ultimate goal Mm -hmm. to come as a Hebrew military leader and political activist, Mm -hmm. he failed miserably. Right. (laughs) Jerusalem was destroyed a few Uh decades after Jesus was killed, was, you know, died on the cross and rose and it's never been the same. It was ransacked. Like yeah. he failed miserably. Yeah. You know, and, and I can follow any good political leader if that's the case. So I, and, and again, ultimately it wasn't black liberation anyway. If you really want to go to what is black liberation theology, mm-hmm. what is the best theology for the black church to be teaching? Or what is even true to our African and African-American roots, then you will go to Orthodox biblical theology. Orthodox, yes. Right? If you because if you study the many of the and many of the most pronounced or uh, renowned leaders of Orthodox theology, mm-hmm. they were African. Yes. Augustine, Athanasius, Tertullian, Origen, Cyprian, mm-hmm. you could go on and on. And, and, and that's what the quote unquote Western church, you know, that theology was formed by Africans. Right. And even you go to Ethiopia and Nubia and Egypt outside of the Roman empire yep. with Anthony and the desert fathers who started monasticism, African, yep. uh, Shenouda the great African. You'll see the, the Nubian church and the Ethiopian church. They adhere to what we would call orthodoxy, meaning Jesus is Lord. Jesus yep. is the only way to salvation. The Bible is the word of God. Like it is, it is the Bible is the final authority after God yep. and the Holy spirit on how we as Christians should live and yeah. think and believe. Yeah. And, and then of course you get to America. And as I mentioned, all of our early freedom fighters from the founders of the AME church, Richard Allen and so on and so forth. And Frederick Douglass. And so they all have Orthodox Christian beliefs. Yep. They, the notion that, you know, you could be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ and not believe the Bible's the word of God, right. not believe Jesus is the only way. Um, that's like unheard of yeah. among African Christians up until a few decades ago. Yeah. It's unheard. And it's still unheard of for the most part among African Christians. Yep. But in African-American Christians have bought into this, some have bought into this liberal theology that's really German theology. Mm-hmm. And they have stepped away from some of those orthodox beliefs. But that's really a white way. That's not a, a black way or certainly an orthodox way. Mm-hmm. And even, to be honest, even among Christians in general of all races, the notion that you could be a Christian and not, you know, believe in Jesus yeah. or believe in the Bible and the miracles of the Bible and the virgin birth and all that. That's, that, that, that's just uh, unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Even with, with European Christians up until post enlightenment and the foundation of this uh, liberal theology. 
And so we as the black church, we need to teach the word of God. If we're going to be Christians and we're a church, right? The yeah. black church. Yeah. All right. We need to teach the, the word of God, because that is what, that is the final authority again, after God and the Holy spirit for living the faith. This conversation, uh, it reminds me of um, um, reading uh, Esau Macaulay's book, Reading While, uh, Reading While Black. And he yes. talks about uh, the juxtaposition that he's in when he was in seminary, uh, listening to uh, uh, liberal kind of theologians say, well, you know, the Bible really, you know, is not the word of God is, you know, you know, there were this. And then uh, on the other hand, he was dealing with, uh, you know, a conservative uh, right-wing white Christians who were, you know, oppressors, uh, in a way saying, you know, justifying scripture and slavery and you know all that stuff. And he said, man, I'm in the middle because I got these folks over here telling me that the Bible is, you know, there, there's a loose interpretation. Then there's a group over here saying that slavery was, you know, justified by the Bible. Yep. But then my grandmama told me, you know, <laughs> say, the boy, you better believe, believe the word. Right. <laughs> and so, right. And so I, I, I often find that that, uh, a, a lot uh, there's a segment um, uh, that we face uh, as a black church a challenge that we face where we're where we're juxtaposed between uh, juxtaposed between uh, the whole white supremacy and oppression and you know all that and then in in then uh, with uh, black identity uh, right. consciousness movements that say it's a white man's religion and we're in the middle saying. I know the word of God is real. Uh, I believe, you know, Jesus is the Christ. Uh, and, and, and I know that the Bible has African influence, um, you know, for, and, and so, but, but you have these two opposing forces and you're just stuck in the middle. Like, okay, what, what is going on here? Man, that first of all, that what you said is so rich. There's so many points to address in that. Um, he's absolutely right. And, and, and to be honest, like, a lot of the reason that some of these black theologians and Christian, so-called Christian scholars and theologians have gone to the liberal side is because many whites who have promoted biblical orthodoxy have also promoted white supremacy. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and as you said, have also used or I would say misused the scripture to justify slavery and all that. And so, of course, uh, a, a black person is going to say, well, if you're using it to justify slavery, I'm going to go against that. Yep. You know, so that's one of the reasons to blame like conservative theolo white conservative theologians who have promoted. Let's just keep it real racism yep. uh, and misuse the scripture to promote racism. They have to look in the mirror and understand they are in large part to blame for some of it, for a lot of this liberal theology on the part of African-Americans. Um, I would say this too, because I've spoken in some African-American churches, traditional African-American churches, where they were more political, more of the liberal theology mm -hmm. and, and, and liberation theology, according to James Cone and all that. And I go in there with a biblical message. Yep. Now, I know, and this is the great thing, I know a lot of African church history. I know a lot of black presence in the Bible. I've studied that intently. So I can mix that in with my message. Yeah. But ultimately, it's a biblical message 
um, and addressing and teaching the Bible as the word of God and the inerrant word of God. And I'm telling you, man, most of the members, most of the people in the pews uh-huh. of these, some of these traditional black churches that really are on that liberal tip, they, the, the members aren't on that liberal tip. Right. Right. <laughs> Most of them would be appalled, to be honest, if they yes. really sat down and found out what their pastor ultimately believes. Uh-huh. They would be shocked. Yep. Because they come up to me like, I mean, they they love the biblical teaching, the word of God. And mm-hmm. often they'll say, man, that was more spiritual than we're used to hearing. Mm-hmm. And 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 not that I was getting that deep necessarily, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So the the people. As you said, the the ab, like like Esau Macaulay said, his grandma was like, "You got to believe the word of God." We are as, as evangelistic or evangelical in the in the real sense of the word yep. as any group of people in America. We believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, the average member might not be able to break down theology yep. and and the scripture and all that uh, in ways that a theologian can, but they believe the Bible and the general principles of the teachings of the scripture. And so that honestly, man, it's, it's, I hate it. I hate to put it this way. It's disingenuous Mm. of some of these preachers who will tell you Monday through Friday, I'm in the Academy and I'm teaching or believing one thing, or I'm, I'm in the world and dealing with politics Mm -hmm. and teaching and believing and espousing one thing but then on Sunday, mm-hmm. when I'm in front of my congregation that's feeding me and my family, right. I'm preaching another thing, acting like I really believe. Believe it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just disingenuous. And, and here's what I say. One of my good friends who was a, uh, I won't say his name, but he was, his, his story is actually similar to Malcolm X's in a Christian sense. Mm. He was a hoodlum. He was a robbed a, a couple banks. That's what he ultimately, and he was a drug dealer and got caught and went to prison. Became a Christian in prison mm-hmm. and got out and, and has been an activist and all that Christian activist and stuff. And he, he said to me once, his life was changed through the gospel. And he said, look, there's no power in a generic gospel. Man. And that's the thing. There is, you know that. I know that there's mm-hmm. no power in a generic gospel that only preaches politics. I don't need to go to church to hear politics. Right. <laughs> that only preaches socialism. I don't need to go to church. And that's what the gen- this younger generation is doing. They say, I don't need to go to church for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't even know. I, but Esau Macaulay, that, that's very true. And, and here's what I'll say. Because there is enough you know, between the Bible and then studying the black presence in the Bible, Mm -hmm. um, which I was able to do without going to seminary. You know, there are enough books out here now that you can read and that have footnotes and you can check and and all of that. Um, And then studying African church history and finding out that they were Orthodox and what they, they believe the word of God as we do. Mm -hmm. There is there's enough blackness <laughs> surrounding and in, within the Bible and within Christian history, Orthodox Christian history. Yep. That's black liberation theology. You don't right. have to go outside of it 
outside of the Bible and traditional black Bible biblical teaching mm-hmm. to find blackness. Yeah. You can find it within orthodoxy and within the Bible. And if, and again, that's what our, I mean, Frederick Douglass, you, who, who, who could be more effective than him? Yeah. Martin Luther King, who could be more effective than him? Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Marcus Garvey. Um, and so that's what they believe Richard Allen. Yeah. And I think we need to get back to that. And what I always did, if I came across, as Esau Macaulay was saying, I, I let the Bible be the final say yep. and the ultimate authority. So if I came across um, some white supremacy or some racism mm-hmm. from so-called Christian teachers or pastors who were white, I judged it according to the word of God. Yeah. And if I and I, and I would ultimately reject it if it didn't line up with the word of God, which obviously racism, white supremacy don't. Right. So when the word of God says there's no partiality yeah. with God. That, you know, does away with, yep. you know, white supremacy. And, 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 and when the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself or do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that does away with chattel slavery right. and, 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 you know, racism and all right. of that. So if we just judge it, our best weapon, if you will, is the word of God. Mm-hmm. And because it dismisses all of that mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if you look at how the Bible in the in the New Testament says, and Esau Macaulay does a great job of talking about how just in the creation story, uh, God created man to have dominion. Mm-hmm. Just within the creation story, that right then and there does away with slavery. Yeah, because yeah. we were created to have dominion. Yeah, and you understand that God allowed certain things to take place in the Old Testament: slavery, polygamy various other forms of things that were wrong and Mm -hmm. sins because man was, was in sin and man's heart had been hardened. But after Jesus Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're freed from sin and our hearts are are soft. We have a soft heart and all that. And so those things aren't reasons. Even David with the adultery, none of that can be justified in the new covenant because we're not slaves to sin like David in the old Testament people. However, um, uh, even if you look in the New Testament where it deals with slavery and stuff, Paul writes, masters, give your servants what is just and fair. Mm-hmm. That is no relation at all to the chattel slavery that took place in America. Right. That was just and fair is if I'm working for you, I'm paid what mm-hmm. I deserve. Mm-hmm. It, it was just and fair that my wife is my wife. She's not your yep. concubine. You yep. know what I'm saying? Yep. I mean, if you want to really compare chattel slavery in America to what the Bible, what slavery in the Old Testament right. or in the New Testament of the Bible, it's no comparison it's no compar- at all. It's really like an employee or employee relationship. Right. It even says masters give up threatening. Don't threaten your slave. So if mm-hmm. I can't threaten a slave, I definitely can't rape one. Right. I definitely can't castrate one. I definitely can't Whip sell him. one off away <laughs> from his family or her yep. family. So, you know, it, it's just, but but again, the Bible. Yeah. All I'm using is the Bible. I don't have yeah. to go outside of the Bible to really hammer home these truths. In, in terms of how you've been 
created, shaped, and formed, uh, your purpose uh, that God has on your life, um, uh, when you think about um, or when you see the marketplace uh, where, where you uh, do a lot of your work in the marketplace, how do you see uh, the black church uh, and its members positioning, positioning itself effectively in those places. When I think about the marketplace, I think about uh, what they saw the seven cultural mountains or, or something like that. Uh, but how do you see the black church make an impact uh, in the marketplace, um, you know, uh, as you do? Well, I think for one, and that's again, a, a great point. Um, first, let's address it from an individual perspective. I do think African-American Christians are really making a strong impact individually Mm -hmm. because just myself within my field and other people in other fields I come across, there are many black Christians and they are uh, representing. You would be surprised. Obviously I work adjacent, if you will, to Hollywood and all that, you know, just being on television. There are a lot of black Christian actors yeah um that you would be surprised are, are christian you know and, and and i've talked to them and and they want to be a light where they're at and mm-hmm. and and they want to you know uh, have certain roles um and and even programs pushed in hollywood that can mm-hmm. get on television and things like that um so i would say individually obviously all of us are called to shine our light wherever we're at and I would say, if you're go- regardless of your race, if you're going to be a Christian and be a witness in your workplace, in the marketplace, then you have to live it. Yeah. Because if you're promoting Jesus and talking about Jesus and people know you're a Christian and so on and so forth, and then you're not living according to the word, not that we're perfect, but you're, you're sincerely trying to live according to the word, then you're going to be viewed as a hypocrite mm-hmm. and you're going to be viewed. Uh, you can even be viewed as a bigot, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, people won't stand for that. Right. And so I would say if you're going to be an outspoken Christian in the marketplace, in the workplace, then let your walk match up with your talk, which is, again, what we're called to do anyway as yeah. Christians. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. Um, as far as in the marketplace, black Christians, can have a big impact. And here's why. And I'm just going to keep it real. Right now within American society, the image of the white evangelical Christian in mainstream America is, is poor. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of, in, in many cases, the term white evangelical to many people it's synonymous with racism. Right. Racism you know, and white really supremacy. Is. Right. And they and 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 I'm not just talking about blacks. Yeah. Many whites don't want to hear from a quote unquote mm-hmm. white evangelical. They just assume they're on board with racism and white supremacy in many cases. Yeah. So while they don't want to hear from them, they do want to hear from black people mm-hmm. in general. And again, with many black people in prominent places being Christians, that gives us an opportunity to share the character and the principles of true biblical Christianity, Mm -hmm. not a a Christianity that's tainted by white supremacy or racism. And so what, what that calls us to do 
is to, uh, they want to hear from us. They're not going to automatically dismiss us, even if they're not Christians. Yeah. And so we need to stand firm on our beliefs and our values and our principles. I remember I was at an HBCU. This was about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was a one of the guest speakers at a secular event. It was a sports event. But it was a secular event. I, I was a keynote speaker. And they had many people on the dais, the mayor, uh, many you know, white and black dignitaries uh-huh. from the city who weren't necessarily Christian. But the event itself, all the speakers, <laughs> it was very Christian, overtly, yeah. like prayer. Yeah. Most people talking about God and all this. And I, I, I was, I think I was sitting next to the mayor. I said to him, I said, I said, wow, they're, they're really like open and sharing, <laughs> you know, about God. And he was like, oh, He's like, nobody's going to, the last thing a white person is going to do is tell a black person <laughs> not to be it, that they can't pr- talk about God. And, you know, like uh-huh. they yeah, understand yeah. that's a part of our culture. Right. And so we need to use that mm-hmm. to make, to protect for all Christians. And, yeah. and to be honest, people of all faiths, protect religious liberty and religious yeah. freedom. Yeah. I feel like, honestly, like this last election, um, the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, had no prayer of winning mm-hmm. without the black church. Right. Right. And my feeling was we the black church needs to make demands yes. on the Democrat Party and Joe yes. Biden and say, look, this is what all the other groups do. And we, if you want our vote, yeah, then we need this, 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 and this. And we and don't want symbolism. Right, exactly. Thank you, because we're getting a lot of symbolism. We get holidays and and we still can't get reparations. Thank you. Thank you. We're not getting, you know, and so, and and that's a whole nother story, but I'm with you on that. But at the very least, we, the black church needs to be like, look, we're Christians and we want religious freedoms and liberties protected for Mm -hmm. all Christians and people of all faiths. If I'm a Christian, my church should be able to ch- preach the Bible. Yep. And what it says on various things. My school, our Christian schools need to be able, they should be able to teach biblical and Christian principles and mm-hmm. values. As the Muslim temple right. and school should be able to teach according to the Quran. Like that's what we should be getting those types of protections. Mm-hmm. And that's where the black church can really do a great service for people of all faith. Yeah. Because they want to hear from us. They got to hear from us. Yeah. And we need to make sure, look, don't, don't erase our, try to erase our Christian heritage and the spirituality mm-hmm. and, and our biblical values and principles. You cannot erase that from our culture yeah. And from our churches and schools. And if you try to embrace me as a black person, but then, or a black community, but don't allow us to bring and, and maintain the beliefs and the spirituality that has sustained us right. through all these hardships that has allowed us to thrive in many ways through all these hardships and oppression, then you're really not a friend of the black community. That's right. You're just trying to use me to get yourself in power. Right. But we're coming in as we are. So I think the black church really needs to stand on that and um, and make those demands. Yeah. 
uh, as my uh, as my millennial children would say, we're tired of uh, tired of the uh, these uh, uh, politicians and organizations being performative. All they're doing is performing uh, for us, but they're not doing any real substantive change, uh, right. you know, for our benefit. So now that's good. That's good. Uh, well, that's really uh, those were really the questions I really wanted to uh, ask you and chop it up with you. What what's happening with King right now? In um, uh, plans that you have for the future with King? You know what? I'm I'm glad you brought that up because uh, we've been speaking with a bishop. And I, right for now, I'll leave the name uh, unmentioned. But we've been speaking with the bishop who I'm, I'm very close with uh, in one of the traditional black denominations, one mm-hmm. of the biggest ones. And uh, we've been speaking about trying to help revitalize the black church mm-hmm. and, and black men in the black church. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and he's very, very much concerned about um, keeping orthodox biblical yep. theology front and center in the black church, in this case, in his denomination, yep. and not letting it be overtaken by liberal theology. And so um, we're, we're, tr- we're trying to put something together because did you notice, Peter, so many of the richest black Christian minds, uh-huh. so many who are really doing tremendous work in terms of black apologetics, mm-hmm. uh, doing tremendous work in terms of African church history uh, and bringing that to the forefront. So many powerful black Christian leaders aren't affiliated with the black traditional church. That's right. And so we're, tr- we're actually trying, I've, I've been kind of a uh, mediator between this bishop and many of the black Christian leaders mm-hmm. I know who care greatly about the black church and yep. black Christians, but aren't that much affiliated with it. Yep. And so we're trying to bring that synergy and get these great minds, ex- ex- get the black church exposed yeah. to these great minds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'll give you an, a, a little example that's a little unrelated, but w- one of the challenges too, that all churches, but particularly the black church face, is getting our youth mm-hmm. engaged and mm-hmm. keeping our youth engaged. And one of the ways to do that, there are other ways, of course, but one of the ways to do that is through what's the, the musical culture of the day is hip hop. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've always been in the Christian hip hop since I've been, been a Christian, but the black church has just to, to a large extent been separate and divorced from Christian hip hop. Right. You know, and, and that's been uh, many of the, the black Christian rappers. It has been, um, it's saddened them. It's been yeah. disheartening for them. Yeah. Right. Um, but the, so I would say to the black church, one of the things they need to do is bring it is, is embrace Christian hip hop yep. and, and use it as a tool to reach your youth but also be willing to put money behind your youth ministries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of the Christian rappers, they, they perform at majority white churches, right. multicultural churches, multiracial churches, because those churches are putting more money in their youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 
I think within the black church in general, uh, like I said, King, as far as we know, is the only male uh, black led men's parachurch ministry in the country that we know of. There is a there unfortunately is a uh, an absence of black parachurch ministries. Mm-hmm. And I think when we often in the black church, when we feel that call to do something for the Lord and that call to ministry, we think pastor. Yeah. Right. And let me go start a church. That's why we have so many churches, <laughs> four churches on one block and they right. speak to each other, you know, because we feel that we automatically go to pastoring. But your calling might be in the, like you said, in the marketplace. Your call might be in the workplace or some other way. And so um, I think that we need to begin putting money into some of these parachurch ministries, in this case, particularly Christian hip hop, Mm -hmm. that can reach our youth in a way that they can relate to. Um, But yeah, so my point is we're trying to connect, uh, at least in this case, a traditional black denomination and then spread out from there with some of these great black Christian minds who aren't necessarily in the black church because ultimately it should be one church. Right. And that's how I look at it. Right. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again uh, for uh, your time and kind of chopping it up with me uh, about the black church. I appreciate it uh, so much and uh, appreciate the work that you're doing uh, in the marketplace. Uh, Appreciate the way you are representing Christ in his kingdom um, and, and, and orthodoxy, uh, uh, in, in the faith. And so, uh, I'm excited to be able to uh, share this, uh, this, uh, interview with our folks and, uh, our network and, uh, get people, uh, you know, connected with you. If they wanted to, uh, uh, learn more about King, where, where should they go? You can go to our website, which is kingmovement.com. Uh, we're on all the social medias as, uh, the King movement on Instagram and, and on uh, Twitter. Uh, You can email us if you're interested in learning more about it or becoming a member potentially at king at kingmovement.com, king at kingmovement.com. And then if you're interested in having me speak at your church, you can go to Chris Broussard Speaks, chrisbroussardspeaks.com. And that's a way to, you know, get me to speak at your church or, whatever event it might be. So those are ways they can get in touch with us. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you again uh, for uh, your time. And uh, this is the Black Church uh, Still Speaks. Uh, My name is uh, Pastor Pete from the RCA, and you just heard from Chris Broussard. We want to thank our guests for rocking with us today. Now, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. I said our because this podcast is not a one-person show. There are some folks in the background who make this happen each month for our listeners. I want to give a shout-out to our sound engineer, Garrick Steyer, logo and graphics by Warrior Design, our executive producer, Annalise Ratcliffe, and our assistant production manager, Lorraine Parker. I'm your host, Reverend Peter Watts with the AABC, and this is The Black Church Still Speaks. <laughs>